Hey everyone, this is Kyle Pasquitz, president of Yellowbird Homebuyers, and we're here on the Yellowbird Connect podcast, episode 17, and we got Sean Tierney with us today at Corvest. Look forward to hearing from him. The main reason we started Connect is to give everyone the opportunity to do what I did. We wanted to be able to offer the real estate community, especially locally, something new, something that was fresh. And if we can help a couple people change their lives through this education. Just one person or two people come up to me saying, man, that was awesome. Like what you put on was great. Then it'd be a huge win for everyone. If you've gotten any value at all from this Yellowbird podcast, make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes. Hey guys, uh, just wanted to uh, welcome everybody to Connect uh, Podcast. Um, I think we're at like episode 17 or so, but I've got a, a very special guest with me, Sean Tierney with Corvest today. Um, you're out in Idaho, or Idaho, right? Yeah, the uh, financial epicenter of the United States, that's, the Idaho. That's it. So when we met, and I, and I believe we met a while ago, and we, we kind of reconnected back in uh, Dallas back in February at a, at a yep. little conference, a little small mastermind mm-hmm. group conference. So we got a chance to talk and 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 Sean got a chance to stand up and and talk in front of the group and I'll just tell you guys he's smart as shit. So when it comes to, when it comes to this stuff, you're you're way beyond. Like when you're when you're flowing there, your uh, your mindset and, and knowledge and especially scale is way beyond you know what I'm used to and and probably what a lot of people are used to. At the same time, you've been here since the beginning, so you've sort of been in this space, especially with this institutional you know money and and buying and home buying and single family from the beginning. So you've you've seen it grow, and so I've got a lot of kind of questions and wanted to hear, hear kind of your perspective on, you know, not only what you've seen from the beginning, but mm-hmm. you know, where this thing's going in the future. Cause it's obviously, yeah. you know, in 2013, 14, when we started, or, you know, when we started having a little bit of scale to our portfolio, we, we didn't right. realize, you know, we knew, we knew it was changing. We didn't really realize what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still don't know if we realize what it's going to be 10 or 20 years or 50 right. years from now. And I, and I know you've got a lot of perspective cause you've, you've swam in this ocean. So, um, <laughs> Why don't you, if you could just give us a little background on yourself, where you came from, how you ended up at Corvest. I, I, I'm kind of looking at your sure. LinkedIn profile and see, you know, you've been through a couple of different things throughout your career. So tell us kind of about that and what led you into where you're at today. Sure. So it's, uh, you know, it's not too long of a story, but I started off uh, my career really at Morgan Stanley uh, on their fixed income desk in around 2005, 2006, uh, and really focusing on the securitization market. And... That was an interesting, obviously, a time moving through 2006, 2007, all the way through 2008 and nine. And, um, you know, I started off on a team of about 15 guys. And by about 2009, it was just me and another one of my colleagues. And we were covering some of the largest pension funds, hedge funds, uh, asset managers out there. And, you know, I think they kept me around because, well, I was the cheapest to hold on to. So, uh, <laughs> They basically said, we can't fire that guy. He's too, you know, he's too cheap. Let him just stay there. We don't ever pay him anything. It's sometimes so, best to be in that role. Right, exactly. Kept my head down. And, but during that time frame, I met up with a, our U.S. housing economist by the name of Oliver Chang. And if you guys don't ever have, or if you have an opportunity for those of you who are just getting into this space, you can Google him. He's now at Sullivan Road Capital. And he came out with a white paper in late 2009, 10 and 11. Uh, and it was a three-part series, and it was really interesting. And it was the first person to ever put really the pen to paper on this institutionalization of the rental class society. And at the time, it was sort of this far-fetched idea. No one had really kind of ever knew what it was about. Um, but, you know, he was presenting it to some of these big asset managers. 
And at the time, you know, we would go into the, you know, the, the Black Rocks or the, you know, the, the Pimcos or some of these big groups and they would, you know, we would present this idea and it's all the, you know, the hedge fund guys and the managers would always say, hey, look, I don't think we'll ever be able to do this as an institution, but if you ever go raise some money, I'll throw in a check for, you know, a million bucks. And so, you know, Oliver and I did this enough times where, you know, kind of at the end, we both sort of looked at each other and said, hey, I think we've just raised $50 million for this strategy. And, um, and at the time, then, you know, we separated, I left Morgan Stanley to go do my own thing and to go join another company that blew up in great fashion three months later. Um, so I said, you know what, I'm done with finance. I'm leaving you guys all behind. Uh, good luck. And I moved to Boise, Idaho. Uh, Oliver and I kept in touch and I saw him on CNBC one day kind of promoting this new idea and I said some snide remark, you know, nice tie or something. And he says, we got to talk. I'm like, oh boy. And I had been doing basically nothing at my house uh, and moving up to Boise and it was great. And so he said, hey, can you help us? You know, there's a Sullivan Road, go raise some money. And I said, I think so. Uh, you know, it's and so we went to some of my old clients and, you know, we had a very successful opportunity and we raised some, uh, some big money uh, from some large institutions out there and it was great. And then all of a sudden, again, we were, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who've gone out there put a business plan together and they say, okay, here's how I'm going to get from point A to point B. And here's the six steps I'm going to get there in between. And we had done that. And well, all of a sudden now it was, we had raised the money. And so now it was time as we thought, hey, this is going to be easy. We've already done the hard part, right? Well, it turns out raising the money is pretty much the easiest part of the whole aspect, right? As anybody has done it, you know, I mean, at the time it was challenging because there was no other, there wasn't any real track record. There wasn't anybody else doing it really. I mean, we all kind of relied on the retail or the, uh, the REIT sector on the commercial side and, you know, tried to make these big correlations and, you know, here's where it was going to be. Um, but what year, we what year was this? What year this was, was this? 2012. Okay. So this was late, uh, Sullivan Road Capital launched in 2012. We raised late 2012 and we raised the first amount of money and we started putting it to work in, I think we bought our first home in February of 13, I believe it was, okay. right in Atlanta, Georgia. And, okay. you know, at the time we were really focused just on Atlanta obviously with plans to expand uh, because our first raise was about $550 million. Oh. <laughs> we look back. So we, so we started our, our first raise was a million dollars. Right. And we thought that was crazy. Somebody given, yeah. and we had this old man that just sold his business that gave us a million dollars, a million turned into 4 million. And that's how we, yeah. we grew our whole rental portfolio with $4 million. And at the time, like looking at how you're talking, you know, $500 million. And we were at $4 million. We thought it was crazy. And looking back, man, we, we did a lot of really good. Um, yep. At the same time, man, we were undercapitalized and the money was oh, there. You know, right. you look at it and the money was there and there's people out there that, you know, that were getting it. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no, and I, and I think that's a great point, but we also did it. And I always think that, that one of the more challenging, we did a friends and family raise and, you know, besides our institutional fund. And I thought that was the hardest money to raise, yeah. you know, going out there, you know, Going to an institution, presenting them, you know, you go through a lot more due diligence. But I, I just, you know, when it was versus that versus calling up my buddy and saying, hey, I got an idea. Um, if, you know, it's just a different dynamic or that country club raise, of sure. raising, you know, a couple million bucks. I, I thought it, I thought that was more challenging yeah. than actually going and raising, 
a, you know, a big flood of capital. Well, and that was with your, you know, with your prior experience, you knew that existed. I mean, we were in a position where I didn't even know there was an option for that. Like, I didn't know that, right. you know, there was big groups that were even out there that would, that would put money out like that versus today, you know, sure. there's obviously a major shift today and the money is really not the problem. Yeah. Right. And it's right. public and it's known and everybody knows where to go get it. You know, yeah. Cool. It, great, exactly, great example. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, and so we went through, um, Sullivan road and then all of a sudden they, uh, you know, we now raised the money and, we kind of needed a new opportunity for myself. And so I went and helped on the acquisition side being that I purchased all of one house and that was my own. So, you know, I was clearly in the right position to go buy, you know, 30 million bucks a month of acquisitions. And so we put together a really strong team based a lot of it on kind of a, you know, a wall street trading desk where we had, you know, analysts really kind of focused on the acquisition, sending out offers. And that's what you had, we ended up having to do is to really build this company uh, quickly and efficiently. And uh, our, you know, our, to our credit, we really liked our capital partners. And uh, I'm not saying that because of the, you know, the, the legality of it. We Absolutely. actually, really, <laughs> no, they were great because they really did push us. And, yeah. you know, every day it was kind of, we always were having that give and take discussion of, well, do we do it this way or do we do it this way? And they had their insights and it really pushed us to be a better owner operator at the time. Yeah. And so, Went through that in 2000, you know, in 2015, it was time to re-up on the capital. Uh, we came to conclusion that, you know, we'll separate Sylvan Road and Havenbrook decided to separate ways because Havenbrook was the operating partner. And so we separated and I, kept, I left the space for a little bit um, to focus on some things up in Boise, Idaho. And there was the, uh, in 2016, there was an opportunity uh, with a company up here called A10 Capital and they were really focused on that middle market space, really in the commercial space. Um, but they hired a, a gentleman by the name of Sean Henry, and he was really putting together kind of that to, the competitor to the Corvest, to the you know the you know the B two Rs. And so we had the we had the right capital, and we were going out and making loans on that aspect. And what really was the time to get me back into it, because again. I hadn't done a loan ever. You know, I had syndicated loans in Morgan Stanley. I'd seen them securitized and go through the machine. But as far as a loan originator, I said, you know, I never could do it. But what was really interesting was when Freddie Mac came back in with their pilot program and they said, hey, look, we have $1.3 billion. We're going to create this pilot program for small to mid-tier owner operators. And it's really going to focus on the affordable housing space. And so A10 contacted me and said, Hey, you know, we think you'd be a great fit. You have a lot of great contacts in the space and you understand the business and would love to come, you know, would you like to come work with us? And I jumped at that opportunity. It was really, you know, it put a lot of it, you know, the dots together and helping the affordable space, which I think is a huge misconnect right now uh, in this area and, you know, putting, bringing government spending, you know, because of anybody who's done like the small balance programs or, even a conventional 30 year mortgage on their own home knows that Freddie, you know, Fannie and Freddie's money is definitely the cheapest money. Out always, always. You know? And so that was a great opportunity. Unfortunately, we had hit all of the hurdles. As you know, you know, they did about $1.3 billion in uh, they, their program. And they, uh, on August 22nd, they said, you know what? Uh, the FHFA told Freddie Mac that the program was no longer going to be existence. And so, Correct. Uh, and so that was kind of the nail in the coffin over at A10. And, um, you know, I've known Beth at uh, Corvest since her auction.com days. And I had known a lot of the other kind of originators. And so I kind of, you know, said, hey, look, if I'm going to join a company, 
kind of want to join the Yankees. And yep. so I said, Hey, Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, they're the one, they're the one uh, rock in the room, you know, that stayed consistent, been there every single, you know, you go to these conferences and they're, they're always there. You know, a lot of the other guys come in and out and the, mm-hmm. and the industry changes and yeah, Fanny Freddie mm-hmm. comes in, leaves, things right. like that. But at the end of the day, they're still there. They're still doing the business, still yeah. lending. And, and at this point, I'm sure I have it figured out a lot better than, you know, where, where everybody first started. Yeah, so right. so exactly. ex- executing is yeah. a lot easier. And there's actually yeah. well, totally, and they've been there since the beginning, right? They've had to, yeah. you know, they've had to make a lot of changes. So it's, uh, so yeah, that brings me here to today. And, you know, uh, as we were talking before, you know, really like getting out there and talking with as many people as I can, just educating because, you know, we, I remember in the beginning, we would always talk about it, what inning of this game are we in, right? With this single sure. family housing. And it was always that baseball metaphor and everybody kind of said, oh, maybe the first, maybe the third, uh, you know, that was 2013, 14. And I think looking back, you know, I think that that was barely the first, they were just getting the batter, you know, the battered box warmed up. And, and we're still, uh, we're still in the first inning. Yeah. You know, we're still like, we're, we're still just starting in, in compared to where this thing's, where this thing's going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and to that point, right. It's been amazing to see all the various kind of secondary and tertiary businesses that people have been able to um, bring, bring out of this, whether it's, you know, the renter's warehouse and nationwide rentals, whether it's the app folios, right. I mean, you know, or whether it's the, the I buyers or it's the, you know, there's so much more, you know, the space is massive, right? For I mean, sure. we always, you know, we always kind of go back to that Joint Center Harvard studies in 2016 and kind of like it, all right, one and a half percent of the homes are actually owned by institutions and, you know, a thousand more units or more. And just the rest of these, you know, two units and above to a hundred units from Ma and Pa, it's such a massive market. That it, it's such beyond great- massive. And we're not even, you know, like you said, we're touching the surface at this point. And I think one thing I was having this conversation earlier with somebody, but, you know, a lot of people complain about institution money, a lot of, you know, local realtors and investors and people get scared about it, complain about homeowners, just the general conceptions that, you know, it's greed and it's not a good thing. But, Mm -hmm. but, but I look at it from a way different angle is man, there's so much more transparency to the real estate business. If you're, if you're a renter, you know, renting from a hedge fund, you've just got, you have a lot more quality control. You have a lot better experience. You've got real customer service. It's not uncle Jim fixing your air conditioner when it goes out two weeks after it's a professional company, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of like, sort of like going to holiday Inn. you expect, you expect a little bit better service and a little bit more consistency to it, which, Mm -hmm. you know, never existed, you know, even five years ago, didn't exist. When the hedge funds first started, they were flying, but it wasn't a priority of, of management and today it is and and there's been a big shift there and it's overall i feel like you know all these pieces that people complain about the open doors of the world all those things it's actually really good for society whether or not Mm -hmm. whether or not they'll be around forever and can survive and figure it out that's up for debate but actually whether or not they're providing good service to like the general society and the general public it's a lot better than it was Uh, Um, no totally and i think some of that you know that uh standardization in the market too it's been a help you know when so people see what Invitation Homes does, or they see what American Homes for Rent does, or you know what they see those guys doing, and they sort of set the bar at an opportunity. You know, all of a sudden the mom paws of the world, or the smaller, um, you know, the smaller groups kind of start to compete and say, oh well, if I want my house to be rented and I'm competing against that, I actually have to put in you know steel, uh, or you know the the nice countertops or the you know the steel appliances, and so. Yep. You're right. It provides a better product. Well, competition push, pushes it up every single time. 
So it yeah. raises the bar, makes it better, makes it better for the customer and everybody else. What's um so your role at so your role at Corvette? Are you are you originating? Are you out there trying to find people to come to you, or are you? Yep. What's your yep. what's your main role your day to day over there? Sure. So uh, you know that's a you know my main role is I'm a you know I'm a relationship manager, and so I spend a lot of my time going and reaching out to people um, who you know it's it's funny I think to your point the dynamic has changed, but I'm creating loans for people both you know from the call it the 500,000 to the $50 million loan. So anything in between, um, you know, we're really focused on a lot of great products that we can start talking about later. But, you know, my day-to-day is, uh, as I was going to mention, we've started to see this kind of shift, I think, where um, there's a lot more incoming and inbound kind of uh, lead generation. Whereas I think probably, you know, two, three, four years ago, it was a lot of the originators dialing out and looking up LLCs and saying, hey, look, you own, we have a product. And, uh, you know, to your point, you know, being at some of these conferences consistently provides that. And, you know, we actually have a strong base of people who provide loans and then say, oh, yeah, I got a loan on my five properties. You should call these guys up at, you know, Corvest or B2R, whomever, you know, whatever the case might be, but that there is these opportunities out there. And so, you know, a lot of my time is going to, uh, you know, conferences as well. I think it's a great opportunity to go meet large audiences. And uh, I was up at this, it's got a great name. It was the PNW Badass Conference. <laughs> and so it says it was, bad, yeah. Badass was part of it? That's it was. Amazing. And so, yeah, I had to be, every time I would get an email in my, you know, my work email, you know, the big red flag was kind of popping up. Yeah. yeah. So I had to say, look, I swear it's a good thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they had 975 attendees at least. Wow. Yeah. And it was a really, you know, it was a newer market participant. You know, the, you know, the average was about three homes owned kind of thing. And, um, but they were all looking, you know, and they were really focused on using, you know, true hard money in its oldest sense of the word where, you know, how would they fund a deal? They would text a buddy, their money would be in the their account the next day. They were paying 14 and two and, you know, that, that was kind of it. And so this whole new, uh, you know, generation of lending where I could say, well, you know, look, why don't we structure something a little more around what you need and, and at a much lower interest rate. And yes, there's friction costs, but you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be better off. So, you that's, know, that's where I spend a lot of my time doing is definitely. really the, the education of it. And, and that's something um, for this audience. You know, a lot of this audience is just, you know, we're, we're, we're local in Jacksonville. So we run a small yeah. little like free group in Jacksonville, a um, couple hundred people attend. And, it, yeah. and a lot of it's just that it's the mom and pop. So, you know, for, for you and, 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 and I tell everybody, a lot of people are, Hey, if I had more money, I could do this. If I had more money, I could do this. Mm-hmm. And I can prom and I promise them guys, the money is out there in yep. mass right now. And, and someone mm-hmm. like you can react mm-hmm. to that. So what, what products, so you can kind of tell the audience, you know, what products, obviously like I, I'm aware of the, obviously lending on rental portfolios is, is yeah. a strong one you guys are at. I know you're getting into the build to rent space and yep. you're starting to, starting to look into that, um, which, which is becoming more popular in Jacksonville. What right. about like fix and flip? Are you guys in that space mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a great question. So a lot of what we're doing, we're actually seeing a lot of that focus right now uh, in those bridge lines. You know, there's a couple of terms out there that all kind of are describing that same product where it's, whether it's either the line of credit, the bridge line, or, you know, short-term financing, they're all sort of trying to accomplish that same goal providing that call it six month to 18 month financing gap where, you know, you can either do uh, that fix and flip where you're using, you know, like a line like ours to go acquire, renovate and sell out of assets. Or a lot of guys are also using our line to go buy, renovate 
and aggregate. And, you know, and then at the end of 18 months, they have five or six homes. And then we put them into a longer term product that way and really helping that growth of the product. Um, But, you know, that fix and flip, we also have kind of a single asset fix and flip project loan, where if you're going and identifying, you know, it's more so in, uh, you know, it's a great product in like a California or multifamily product where you see something in a $800,000 range acquisition price. You want to increase NOI on it and, you know, want to increase a lot of that uh, project. So you're putting $200,000, $300,000 into it and then you're flipping it. And so we're starting to see a lot of that too. And we've developed that product, but uh, you know, one of the aspects, you know, is that build to rent, right? I mean, that has been a kind of a term for many, many years. And uh, I was, you know, I I have to admit personally, I was against it. I was majorly against it. And I I disagreed with, I still disagree with parts of it. Um, At the same, at the same time, there's no doubt that trains down the track right now and there's massive money and, and, and I think you're going to see a big shift. And I tell people this all the time. Like I think in 10 years, you're going to see a shift where that's going to be as common as home building for, you know, homeowners. Um, and it's going to be, you know, there's going to be different structures, different organizations doing it, but I think Mm -hmm. there's, it makes, it makes too much sense. And with the amount of money out there in in the capital markets and the institutionalization of it Mm -hmm. just makes it makes, it makes sense to do it. Um, Yeah. And yeah, no, and I agree. I mean, my biggest challenge, and I always thought it, and my nobody ever proved me proved me incorrect, but it was always that you know what happens in twenty a twenty unit development, you know, and five of them go to owner occupied. After you know a year, that owner occupant says, you know what, I'm bored here. I'm going to lease my house, and everybody else's leases were at two thousand a month, and they're just saying, you know what, I just need to cover my mortgage at fourteen hundred, and all of a sudden you've now created a a vacuum downwards, but. It never happened, so I guess that was a, a good thing, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and you uh, never know. I mean, there's always that, there's always that risk, but it's like anything else. At least there's mm-hmm. a, you know, like you kind of go back to what you mentioned in the very beginning about affordability is, is that is an issue with just this country in general going yeah. forward, and this rental market space institutionalized is gonna is gonna be a big, big help to solve at least help go down the pipeline mm-hmm. and figure that out because that is something that all the funds are trying to figure out. You know, yep. they, you think they're greedy, you think they're doing that, but they're trying to figure out affordability. They're trying to figure out mm-hmm. how can we keep people in longest term and make the process as simple as possible. And the capital markets will reward them by figuring that problem out. Yeah. Uh, no, so. it's interesting too. And you're right. Like, as you said, I mean, the capital markets groups are all trying to figure it out. You know, here at Corvest, we've got management, you know, upper management support in the build to rent and they are pushing, you know, they like it. And so we're trying to, you know, we've figured out some ways and we've done, you know, we've done a decent amount of the build to rent space. And, you know, again, we're trying to partner up right now with people who have done it, you know, and have yeah. kind of some significant experience. Um, you know, not the guy who says, Hey, I got to track a land and I think I'm going to go build some homes, but sure. you know, so um, I think in the right markets in the right areas, you know, Jacksonville is a great because, you know, still inside the perimeter there, there's still some great land opportunities. And to go put, you know, 10, 20 homes, and they don't need to be, you know, the highest rent to make the land work, to make the deals work. Sure. And, you know, and I think that, you know, in certain areas that are getting more constrained to the Nashville's, um, the urban infill areas of Atlanta, you know, they're still working on, to your point, trying to be able to come up with the affordable housing solution, right? Sure. And build to rent seems to be one of the, uh, the premier ways. And there are a lot of guys and groups out there who are yeah. saying, this is how we can do it. And, you know, 
Corvast really does want to try and start financing the, the right way and oh, making sure. it, you know, and making it a profitability for everyone involved. And I tell everybody, I mean, being in Jacksonville, like, and that's again, who kind of, who are a lot of our audiences, but we're, yeah. we're lucky to be in a spot, you know, our, our competition in the state of Florida, like we're the lowest price. We've got a lot of growth. We've got so much going for us. We've got land down in South Florida. Yep. Like there's just not, there's not opportunity. You can't go buy a plot of land. If you had one, you know, it wouldn't be a build to rent model. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe high end, A plus mm -hmm. community, you know, mm -hmm. type of thing. So Jacksonville's still got a ton of opportunity in that space. And there's, you know, and that's one reason a lot of it's coming here. And there's there's already a lot in the works. There's a lot of those neighborhoods. Um, there's already a lot already in the works that are being built now. And there's a, there's a yeah. lot being plotted to be going in the future. So um, it's interesting. It's going to be kind of cool to see it all come together in that whole model. You know, yeah. and, and, and it's been interesting from the beginning, mm -hmm. for sure. And, you know, I mean, it'll be fun to see. I mean, and you guys can obviously comment on this. There was this there, you know, every group when they were growing, uh, Sylvan Road did it, Invitation Homes did it, you know, I'm sure you guys did it, where we haven't seen it in the build to rent space yet, but where, you know, we all went out and acquired. All we did was acquired, 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 and we didn't realize the operational inefficiencies that we were all running. And then all of a sudden you would hear, you know, oh, so-and-so stopped buying, so-and-so stopped buying, you know, and you, you kind of realized it wasn't because there was inventory dynamic changes, maybe that was kind of what the the policy line was, or everybody was saying, but what in reality behind closed doors was everybody was pulling their hairs out going. I mean, it was a shit show. It was yeah, like everybody yeah. was going through an absolute, and, and we, you know, we were lucky that if I had, if I had another market, it would be a shit show. We, we were able to keep everything somewhat under control because it's our backyard. So we were right. hands-on, we were the decision yeah. makers, the renovators, yeah. the, the janitor. We were, we were involved very hands-on. Right. It's also the reason we, you know, don't own 30,000 homes and we only could do one market. But you're yeah. right. I mean, I don't know anybody in 2000, I mean, shoot, even today, but in 2015 yeah. that had it figured out. I mean, every right. single person I talked to was, yes, mm -hmm. behind the scenes. You'd like, it looks pretty. <laughs> the numbers yeah. sound right. We have a uh -huh. bunch of cash, but it is oh, a well. shit show behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, and just the, oh, wait, we forgot to collect rent on 60% of our units last. Oh, shit. Like, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah, so, we're, renovating, uh, we're renovating the wrong house. We're, we're, <laughs> buying, we're buying foreclosure auction at the wrong house. We're... We're not collecting rent. I mean, we, you know, we, uh, we, we've been mowing the neighbor's lawn for six months but and nobody correct, says correct. no one says uh -huh. anything. I mean, yep. there's, there's somebody needs to write a book. Cause I, I mean, I know, oh. I know we, we did a lot of stuff with American homes for rent. So I did a lot of their acquisitions as a brokerage in the beginning. And, uh, when they first started and we actually did their property management stuff. And, you know, again, we were very hands-on. We, we tried really hard, but I mean, we were like everybody else flying by the seat of our pants, mm -hmm. you know, just keeping the wheels on the track and, and stuff. And, and a lot of these guys that did multiple markets, yeah, um, it's amazing. They held it together and some did and some yeah. didn't. I mean, a lot yeah. of them didn't hold it together mm -hmm. and that's why they got out of the game. Right. Like, exactly. And so I think that to our point really is that that dynamic hasn't happened yet. I mean, I don't think we've seen the growth in the build to rent space to even justify the operational efficiencies aspect of it yet. I think they're just still trying to figure out does this does this hypothesis actually work and can we continue on this train and uh, yeah. so it'll be definitely interesting to see i like that i do like that space now i'm coming i'm coming around yeah, to me it too, me too. well i mean i mean and still even if you look at like the earning reports and, and i don't i don't look at it enough but you look at the earning reports a lot of the public reads i mean they still haven't showed money you know they still haven't showed how this thing's really going to produce over a long term and we've had, and they've had a lot of relief with rent, you know, you know, rates are great. Securitization is great. Rent Home price, rent price, yeah. Appreciation is way up. Rent prices yeah. are, 
you know, our rents and our portfolio have risen significantly. And, and, and I know it's the same across every other board. So we've had a lot of really positive things happen, but yep. still trying to figure out, you know, how's this thing going to capture? And at what, what point do you move from an acquisition expensive phase to, mm-hmm. all right, let's show a return and yep. let's start putting together. And, and I think that's a struggle that, you know, that we have on a, on a smaller scale and everybody else is, you know, kind of dealing with the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to recognize these opportunities like build to rent and these other things in the market, it's just mm-hmm. unique to see where this thing's going to pivot. And, and honestly, yeah, where's it going to go next? And I think the affordability, right. you know, the affordability is the big one. And, you know, mm-hmm. is it a, I was actually right before I walked in, I saw something about, uh, uh, you know, politics and I don't follow it at all, but there was a $2 billion or $2 trillion spending bill, potentially Trump met with Pelosi. Oh, okay. And, and so mm-hmm. there's something about like, Hey, there uh-huh. might be this big spending bill, infrastructure bill and housing might be, oh, the yeah. and you yeah. never know if you never know affordability becomes mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't be surprised if government steps in because I mean, it's, it's obviously an issue that, um, that we see. And I think mm-hmm. everybody sees, um, and it's going to have to be addressed, you know, yeah. at, at some extent. And it might take a little bit of government assistance, city assistance, mm-hmm. things like that, so that people can come in and try to create, you know, a more affordable place for people to live. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that the the hedge fund or the private equity group that does figure out how to partner up with the government and some sort of way or fashion to go help groups buy, you know, because like Corvette says it, everybody does, where we all kind of have you know, these general terms where we can't lend below certain limits, right? And, you know, of a house value. But I think that they're in certain markets, uh, you know, you run into the two different areas where one is where you're going and buying a $35,000 house in a $150,000 neighborhood. Chances are that house is going to have some issues, right? Whether it's bullet holes or whatever. Absolutely. But the real opportunity is the house where the market around is these forty dollars to $50,000 houses. They're in really good stabilized neighborhoods. That's just the value of those properties there, and they haven't appreciated like everything else. And if you can go buy the, you know, the thirty thousand dollar home there, um, and you know, you can provide the affordable rent in a decent area, I think that that's the area where there's going to be a lot of improvement. Not the, you know, not the sub twenty thousand dollar area in the, you know, in the class D neighborhood that's got, you know, where your equipment's going to get stolen when you're doing rehabs. But you know, really some of these up and coming neighborhoods where you can provide, you know, affordable housing. And like you said, and you know, a lot of it's going, there's going to be a lot of, you know, with the FHFA overseeing now and kind of they talk of how Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae may be going back to privatization. And so, you know, obviously there's, they've got their, you know, their work cut out for them. And so it'll be interesting, you know, I know that their duty to serve kind of mission um, has been rolled up and, you know, I know that that's a big part of it still. Um, but, you know, when the Senate Housing Committee is giving out things and saying, OK, here's how it's going to work, um, you know, you just kind of make sure that it it still aligns with what can be produced out there. And oh, definitely. So, you know, I mean, we'd love to see more of that affordable housing, right? I mean, Corvette, you know, it's what we want, right? We don't need to go finance the, you know, the, the public companies or the, you know, and the, the $300,000 homes. Right. I mean, that's great. But, you know, we'd much rather see an opportunity to actually provide affordability. No, definitely. Where do you see, um, you know, kind of wrap this thing up? What do you what do you yeah. see the future? I mean, you've, you've kind of been around from the beginning. You know, what do you where do you see this industry in, you know, maybe five and 10 years out? I mean, do you think it's growing at is it is it, you know, because one, one thing I notice is there's still an opportunity in some markets, even in like Jacksonville, there's still an opportunity for hedge funds to 
you know, by, you know, below replacement cost and, and mm -hmm. there's still foreclosure. There's still, you know, the open door, there's still some discount to market value out there. But a lot of these bigger groups and with a lot of money have just kind of exited that space and are really focusing on this build to rent model and everything else. Yep. But, you know, is it, is it to go in there and, and another mass buy? I mean, I know there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a handful of groups, especially locally that we deal with that are sitting on tons of cash and cannot right. figure out how they're going to get it out in time. You know, yeah. they don't, they don't have it. They don't have a, you know, they're looking at, I've got a billion dollars to spend and at my pace, yeah. we're going to spend a hundred, hundred million of it. Um, and, yeah. and there's a lot of that. So, you know, what do you see, where do you see it? You know, five, 10 years out with your, what's your crystal ball there? My crystal ball. Uh, well, first, you know, I think the technology, um, is going to be a huge component of that to improve overall efficiencies, whether it's going to be in construction management, property management, uh, you know, lender portals, appraisals. I mean, if we could get all on board with one, you know, nice appraisal system that just sort of says, here's the number and we all buy in. I mean, you know, I know everybody uses Zillow and, you know, there's a lot of great AVMs out there and a lot of third party management systems. So I think that that technology um, will help us, you know, improve efficiencies and also groups like ours will improve our customer relationship. Right. Sure. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, yeah, you know, Corvest has this great lending portal and. God, I don't even have to talk to that guy Tierney anymore. He's such a, you know, I just go right to the website and I do these. So I think that that's going to be a huge precursor to what's growing, right? Because once we can, you know, once the lenders can improve our efficiencies, um, it will create more products that we can actually come up with. You know, we touched on the build to rent, um, short-term rentals. Uh, I think that that's definitely a hot button topic right now. Whether, you know, whether you like them or not, um, you know, those definitely do affect the rental prices in areas and the affordability, not affordability, but the availability. So I think that, you know, I've started to hear some whispers of groups starting to be able to finance those. Um, you and I already talked about the affordable admission-based lending. That's going to be huge. Um, kind of the, the co-living environment has something I've been starting to hear a little bit more about. Um, you know, I mean, this kind of takes the... Uh, you know, the post-collegiate go living with six of your buddies in a house to an actual more formal where you're providing, you know, whether it's individual units with a shared, you know, living space and shared kitchen, everybody's on their individual leases. I think that, you know, in the more compressed areas, uh, you know, the bigger cities, I think that that's actually going to be something that can be a viable opportunity. We've been looking at how to figure that one out. Um, and then as you guys know, um, from that Jacksonville area, right? Uh, the opportunity zones. I mean, it's sure. definitely the buzzword of late last year. Uh, they came out with some new actual uh, regulation and some clarification. Um, but to your point, you want to talk about a space where all of a sudden you, you've gone and raised, you know, because everybody's done so well with the S&Ps and whatnot. They've got a lot of capital gains. And so all of a sudden they say, oh, you know, going and raising a $500 million opportunity fund is not a challenge, right? It's going and finding where the heck are you going to go put $500 million? Yeah. Um, and so, and then, you know, from our point of view as a lender, can we lend on that or, you know, and I've talked to, you know, I've talked to, you know, three or four different law firms, big law firms and all three to four have given me different answers. And sure. so, um, sometimes be that's good or sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's bad, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, from a crystal ball, you know, I mean, I think that some of the other, I think that that's only going to provide more advantages for borrowers out there. Right. And, you know, and no. right with, we can provide more products and Hey, you know, as you were saying, you know, with the competition, 
competition is a good thing, right? I mean, if we can have some really solid competitors out there helping, you know, control rates, pushing down rates for our borrowers, um, it just, you know, it gives us new products and it gives us new availability and gives sure. lower rates. Well, I know. I mean, that's one thing like, you know, Corvest, when I first was introduced to them, you, you would have not, you know, a five package portfolio wouldn't even got looked at. You know, there yeah. was no space for that. Now today, you know, the mom and pop investor that owns five yeah. or 10 houses, like there's an yeah. exit for that without mm -hmm. going to a bank and going through the scrutiny and everything mm -hmm. else. And there's, you guys are a little bit more creative and, and the story can be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, you know, with competition, everything else, more people can enter the space. Um, the strong will survive and, and it'll yeah. overall be a better market. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So. But, Good deal. Well, how can people reach out to you? So if anybody locally owns, you know, some rental properties or looking for a fix and flip line or, or, you know, looking for money in general, like what's, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Sure. So I am available usually, uh, you know, all the time they can always call into the Corvest 1-800 number. They can reach out to me directly. Uh, I can post that later on your website for you and, uh, you know, give you my email as well. Email is great. Um, you know, and, uh, happy to walk them through, you know, and I think that one thing we didn't touch on, but as you know, as people are entering this space, and uh, it's always a conference topic, uh, is how to be better prepared for, sure. you know, what am I going to ask you? What is, you know, versus what is a bank going to ask? And, you know, and making sure that borrowers understand and really push their originators to understand things like yield maintenance, to really yeah. understand recourse versus non-recourse, to understand all these things in these loans, you know, because... When I send over a term sheet, that's well and nice and pretty simple. It's usually two or three pages. Um, but when you start to get to your loan docs and it's 40, 50 pages, um, you know, that's where, you know, the rubber meets the road. And it's very important to push your loan originator and to push whoever is selling you these products to make sure that they really, really do understand it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and just, uh, so that's what I encourage, you know, when people call me and it's besides, hey, getting you the obvious, you know, Besides their number one question is, what's your lowest rate? Uh, For sure. What That's where it always happen? starts. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. That's usually the starting point. And then we get into all these sort of ancillary things of, well, you got to take this into, ah, I don't care. It was a four and a half percent rate. Yeah. But yeah. It's, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm all happy to share that with you. And, you know, uh, I'm really glad we had this opportunity. You know, yeah, I, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and if people reach out, I mean, there may be an opportunity for us to come back on and, and go through those things because those are, those are, you know, talking about recourse, non recourse. I mean, those are things that I've, you know, 10 years ago, I had no idea what that meant. And today's, and today's a big, a big piece of my decision-making is, is that term, you right. know, and to somebody else, it might not mean anything, but, but mm -hmm. for them to get familiar with that, what that means. And, and that's, you know, yield maintenance, the 99% yeah. of investors that own property probably have no idea what yield maintenance means and how it would affect what their decision is they're going to do. So yeah. that yeah, would be I something mean, if people reach out to me, it might, it might make sense to come back on and, and do something in the future on that. Cause because I know it can be get complex at the same time. Right. Knowing what you got is a is a huge advantage. Yeah, and it's you know to that point, and real quick, you know, that we're starting to see a lot of these loans come due from you know 2014, 15, 16, and you know, or guys were, or it's even 2017, saying, hey, I want to go refinance. Rates are really advantageous. I've you know now got three more properties. It should be easy, right? And you go walk through them, and they go, well, your yield maintenance is going to cost you X. And all of a sudden they go, holy shnikey, like, what the fuck did I sign up for? And so we're sitting on, we're sitting on one of those loans right now. Luckily we're, you know, I think we're six months out from, uh, from maturity <laughs> on that maintenance, but, uh, -huh. uh, we've, we've, we've sold, I think we've sold one or two from that portfolio and, and yeah. ate it and, and, and almost did it 
knowing we were going to get our face ripped off on it, yeah. but trying to figure out what's, what's the actual number? How do you actually calculate what this is? Mm-hmm. And yeah, just put it, put it straight. We got our face ripped off on it, but yeah. it's okay. We learned, we kind of, by doing it, we learned. So everybody else, we shouldn't have to make the same mistakes. So yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be great to share that kind of information with you guys. Definitely. Down there. Well, good yeah. deal, man. It's good catching up. Good hearing from you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Anybody that needs to reach out to Sean um, can feel free to reach out to us. We'll post his information on our connect, uh, page and uh appreciate you it was awesome having you on yeah thank you very much really good talking thanks so much good good seeing you we'll probably see you out back out on imn maybe in uh, miami if you're coming definitely so, all right thanks sean